The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. One of my Reimagine America teammates suggested that this week's show should include some fireworks in honor of the 4th. So here come the numbers, and I guarantee you, some of you, when I get to the middle of this program, are going to have your heads explode, and you can tell me why I'm wrong. So here we go. 195. That's the number of mass shootings in the United States in the first six months of 2018. 1982. You know, that's the first year that Democrats tried to use a Supreme Court vacancy under a Republican president, President Reagan, as a GOTV and scare the populace um, event, a fundraising event. Six percent. That's the total number of the world's more than one and a half billion Muslims that are impacted by the so-called Trump travel ban which is why the Supreme Court made permanent their injunction and sent the whole uh, case back to the Hawaiian courts for trial on the issues. So I think we will see this one again in a couple of years. 2043, the number of migrant children who still remain separated from their parents as a result of the Trump administration's zero-tolerance-separate-the-children policy that's now been revoked. But boy, did that 2,043 children, 500 have been returned, 2,000 yet to go, have prompted demonstrations throughout the country this weekend. And all that while, while all of this stuff was going on, what did Congress do? Zero. That's the number of immigration reform and detention policy reform bills that got through, got a majority in the House of Representatives. Zero. Four, on the other hand, is the number of congressional hearings aimed at undermining the traditional rule of law and the national security of this country. A Republican lynch mob led by members of the so-called Law and Order Party. I do not get it. Now, here's some really good news in the numbers. Unanimous, the vote of the California legislature to pass consumer privacy legislation on the Internet passed without a dissenting vote. And you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And I'm Joyce Cordy. And we're going to talk for just a moment about 195 mass shootings in the United States. 
I'm just going to say the definition of a mass shooting is a shooting with two or more victims. And the latest was at a newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, the Capital Gazette. Five innocent lives were lost. I I read about them um, in the Washington Post. I read the obits. And they were apparently five charming and smart and gracious and um, uh, compassionate people, Uh, not the kind of people that would engender anger um, outside of their workplace. And it was such an unlikely place. The Capital Gazette is older than the republic itself. It's such an old, original American institution, a newspaper that existed before the Declaration of Independence, that in fact it found the, co- the colony's business to be so urgent that the Declaration of Independence was published on page two. It's a community resource, open and welcoming, both physically and journalistically. We've gotten so good, ladies and gentlemen. We've gotten so good at this mass shooting stuff that the police arrived within one minute of the first shot being fired. 60 seconds. You had multiple patrol officers on the scene, guns drawn, and they were able to bring this to a rapid conclusion. But we've gotten so used to what happens that what used to be wall-to-wall television coverage Um, kind of repetitious television coverage for hours or days on end has become happenstance. Television stations went back to regular programming in barely an hour. I guess the producers figured no assault rifle involved, no news here. The gun was purchased legally and the crime was premeditated. Take a moment as you gather your family on the 4th of July or at the dinner table tonight, to stop to think for just a second about how precious life is and how capricious. The man who did this crime is unstable. But ask yourself how much the loss of civility in our society empowers or enables the unstable. The police did interview this man in 2013, and they didn't deem him him to be dangerous at that time. But he had five years in the echo chamber of the ramblings of his mind, amplified by social media. So again, take a moment to think about how capricious life is. And as we move on from there, let's talk about 1982 the first time the Democrats campaigned on the next Supreme Court justice, charging that if people didn't didn't donate dollars for Democrats and didn't get out to vote and didn't march and all this kind of, oh, you, we against them kind of stuff, that indeed that justice would overturn, because it was Reagan in the White House, would overturn Roe v. Wade. 1982, they charged that. And you know who that justice was that they were protesting? Sandra Day O'Connor, a woman, a conservative jurist, but definitely not a foe of, um, of Roe v. Wade. And she was a friend, and she is a contemporary uh, and a friend of Justice Anthony's Kennedy, who announced his retirement just this week. And Roe v. Wade, 36 years later, 
is still the law of the land. And despite all of the sound and fury, it is likely to remain so. Now, I know that's going to upset some of the people in the listening audience, but Roe v. Wade is settled law. You know who said that? Roe v. Wade is settled law. Can't we just move along? That was George Bush in 2004 in the second presidential debate with John Kerry. That didn't, by no means was George Bush, nor am I, an advocate, an advocate of abortion. But Roe v. Wade, as a bigger argument about privacy, is settled law. And for those who fear a justice who might overturn Roe v. Wade, um, you need to look to the two women senators currently sitting in Republican seats, um, Collins of Maine and Murkowski of Alaska, who are both pro-choice Republican women. And we'll be back in just a moment to explain why it's unlikely that Roe v. Wade is in danger and the other smoke coming out of their ears over a Supreme Court nominee from Trump. Yes, there is more Democratic craziness than you can think of, than you've heard about. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And I'm sorry, but we are going to have to spend a little time on Roe v. Wade because it's important in in understanding how the court, how the Supreme Court really functions and why it should not be a political litmus test and it should not be a campaign issue because neither side side of that issue is being genuine with you. In fact, they're disingenuous. Both of them see Roe v. Wade not as a piece, not as a question of a woman's right to privacy or a person's, forget women, a person's right to privacy under the Constitution. Both of them see it as an ATM machine. It raises campaign cash and it gets people to the polls who are what we call single issue voters. And that doesn't improve the quality of our democracy. It improves, it in fact widens the gulf between the far left progressives and the far right reactionaries. And that is not good for our democracy. So we're going to talk about it for a little bit. In, in the short time that I had the television on in my office yesterday, and let me tell you, it wasn't more than about 20 minutes, I heard women making the argument that if a migrant does not get asylum in the United States, that it means a woman's right to control her own body in this country is lost. Now, does that tell you how extreme the left and the right are on this subject? I mean, my head was exploding. What they're saying is if we don't let every woman who accuses a husband or boyfriend in another country of beating her in that country of origin, if we don't let her stay in the United States, largely at taxpayer expense, that American women will lose all control over their bodies. This is what the women carrying signs in Los Angeles and Washington and Portland and a couple of other cities yesterday were proclaiming. 
And if that doesn't make your head explode, I don't know what will in terms of a lack of logic. If we took that to its logical conclusion, what these women are saying is that the men of America want all of us, all of us women, to be barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen 7 by 24, 365. That they all want to beat and bloody, our, our husbands all want to beat us and, and make us bloody. And that no wonder, you know, if, if those things are true, if women are proclaiming these in the streets of America— as their fear of the next justice of the Supreme Court, that um, no wonder the rate of marriage in this country is declining because what sane man would want to subject himself to that harangue on a daily basis? I don't know. Haven't these women heard we are one vote away, one state away from passing the Equal Rights Amendment to the United States Constitution? Now, there, ladies, is an issue I want you to get behind. There, passing the Equal Rights Amendment is a reason to get more women into state legislatures. We only need one more state. It's not that I don't feel equal under the law in this country, because I do, but I think that passing the Equal Rights Amendment will put an end to the argument that the United States Constitution is somehow illegitimate because it was written by white men. I wonder how Abigail Adams or Dolly Madison might feel about that sentiment. I think they might disagree. They might even take umbrage, one would say. So to those picketing women, to those women so desperate that they see an open border as equal to protecting their right to choose— how they live their lives, I want to to interject some reality. Do you know in this country there are more women graduating from college every year than men? Now, guys, for you, I think there are a set of consequences from that fact. And don't women see the political progress that we've made? I mean, just here in California, there are seven contested congressional seats. We're... The, the right, you know, the Republican Party is likely, or was, I said in June, was likely to hold on to five of those. In the two most contested seats, what gives us a fighting chance to make it seven of seven? Two really smart women, Republican conservative candidates. And don't forget Mimi Walters, who was a member of the state legislature and has been in Congress for a number of years and represents her s- suburban San Diego district and conservative women ably in Washington, D.C. And don't these women demonstrators, don't they, aren't they aware of, aren't they proud of the hundreds, hundreds of U.S. military pilots who just happen to be women? And there are women, women in command positions in the United States Army Rangers and Special Forces. And yes, there are women today in the general and admiral ranks of our military. So I don't think women have a reason to feel like second-class citizens in this country, nor to feel that they're on the verge of taking a step back, because I think for our daughters, the future is very bright, unless we take that bright future away from them with political extremism. So historically, you know, because those who do not read history are condemned to repeat it, it's true. You know, throughout history, starting with Abraham and Sarah, 
behind every great man in the history books, there's been a greater woman. And a, and a woman who was respected um, and a woman who led. And a woman who was not afraid that she didn't have control of her life and her body. And so if you want to read some more about that, go to reimagineamerica.org and you'll find a blog I wrote several years ago, but it's still quite true. That's titled, Without Powerful Women, There Are No Powerful Men. If you do a search on women, it comes up for and, and hit the, um, the more content um, uh, icon. It comes up first. Now, I'm done ranting. I've had my rant. But seriously, what shocks me the most is that cynical Democrats get out the vote efforts, still think that the Roe v. Wade ploy, Supreme Court ploy, 36 years later, is going to work. It's been 36 years, 18 election cycles. Ladies, we need to be smarter than that in so many ways. And that's why you'll need to tune in every Sunday next month. You'll need to tune in every Sunday next month, she repeats. Because we're going to tackle issues with guests that range as widely as the impact of the feminist movement on American life and society today, the potential downside for women in the Me Too movement, and yes, the role of women in the governance of this country, including perhaps starting with corporate America. And we'll be back to talk a little bit more about why Roe v. Wade is not in danger. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. So it appears Town Hall and I are actually pretty close to the same place, but we're going to get there from a different point of view. So let me repeat before I finish up on Roe v. Wade that I am not pro-abortion. I think abortion is an abomination. I also know as a woman that I cannot walk in another woman's shoes. And I think that's the position of most pro-choice Republican women. And I know quite a number of them. Uh, In fact, I'm trying to think of one I know that is not that way. Um, And I'm coming up blank. So yesterday, I I have group walk every Saturday morning with a group of friends. It's a heterogeneous group, both politically and and in terms of gender, men and women. And one of them asked me what I thought the impact of Justice Justice Kennedy's resignation would be via Roe v. Wade. And I said, I don't think Roe v. Wade is in danger for the following three reasons. Number one, science. There aren't very many first trimester abortions done in the United States today because, one, we have what we call the morning after pill. When, if you oops, you can go to the, far, to the drugstore the next day and take one pill and it, it prevents pregnancy from occurring. Um, and the, the RU486, um, millifeprestone, I believe is what it's called, um, is a oral um, uh, medication that um, will create an abortion in the first month of pregnancy. 
and it's very commonly used. Uh, under Obamacare, you can get it at any college um, health center. Um, medically speaking, in terms of getting to the court, as it's not a it's not a, a, a procedure, so it doesn't wouldn't challenge Roe v. Wade. And this particular medication is so common that you can buy it online. And if you don't believe me, just go to Google. And on the other side of that issue, there have been incredible breakthroughs in neonatal medicine. Doctors today routinely save infants born prematurely as early as 22 or 24 weeks. And those children grow up to be a little smaller to, to, to start, but happy, healthy children. And we'll spend millions to save that baby. And we also do now surgical procedures on babies while they're still in their mother's uterus because it's feared that to wait until they're born might risk the fetus's life. If we can do those things, then the real debate becomes, it brings into really sharp focus, the moral and legal question of when does a woman's right to choose, when does abortion end and infanticide begin? And that is the legitimate argument that must be fought first in the legislative branch of our government, and that is ultimately the decision that the Supreme Court will have to make. But that will not overturn Roe v. Wade. One of the people in the walking group yesterday also um, uh, signaled, signaled another reason, in other words, why will fewer cases come to the Supreme Court? And that's the increased emphasis on educating young people about the nature and dangers of sex. Sex education in school, and while some of us are uncomfortable about that in some ways, has also made the role of parents easier uh, because the necessary conversation has been broached and the kids will come home with the question instead of the parent having to go (coughs) sit down on the couch, dear, while I explain to you the birds and the bees. Um, and, And kids are much more aware today. Uh, So the necessity for either um, the morning after pill or other methods of um, preventing, of avoiding or changing a pregnancy will become less important because these kids are better educated. I mean, I remember my generation, um, we were looking at magazines under the covers with a flashlight, and that's just not the way it's done anymore. And third, perhaps most importantly for the future of the court and back to Uh, the town hall comment about the institution of the court as a um, arbiter of law and not a maker of law, okay, is that the departure of Justice Kennedy does not change the rhythm of the court. It has a predictable four-to-four split on most issues in recent years, with Kennedy being the swing vote and if you really look at his opinions, more often the conservative swing, the institutional swing, rather than um, the presumption of making more law. 
So what's changed since Kennedy went to the White House and handed in his letter of resignation is not whether there will be a swing vote, but who that swing vote will be. And most of the experts on both the right and the left, from the Federalist Society to the most progressive folks in um, the Southern uh, Poverty Center, um, believe that John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts, will be that swing vote. And that is important. Remember, we were just talking about the Supreme Court as an institution, okay? John Roberts is an institutionalist. He is more than he's an originalist. He's not an originalist, to be, to be accurate. So on the Supreme Court, that's a really important, that's a really important distinction. And I'm Joyce Cordy, and you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour, where we're talking about Roe v. Wade in the um, aftermath of the resignation of Justice Kennedy. So let's just talk for just a second about the difference between an institutionalist and an originalist. An institutionalist gives deference to the institution of the court itself, the importance of the court, and therefore, in most cases, looks to preserve the precedence that the court has set. Now, just this week, the Justice Roberts wrote about a decision that he believed was wrongly decided and set it aside as a precedent. But but we don't have time to talk about that right now. So, as an institutionalist, John Roberts is unlikely to vote to overturn a societal norm that's, was, that's enshrined by Roe v. Wade and all the subsequent rulings that depend on that right to privacy that point to Roe v. Wade as a precedent, and that includes um, gay marriage. An originalist, on the other hand, an originalist looks at the original language of the 240-year-old parchment scroll to make a 21st century decision. And none of the people on the list that President Trump is likely to choose the nominee from are really ori- are, are complete originalists. Most of them are institutionalists. And that's good for the country. So I think Roe v. Wade is safe, at least unless the president gets a third bite at the apple, along with a larger congressional uh, or Senate Republican majority. And I'm not even sure I'd vote against Roe v. Wade, that I'd bet against Roe v. Wade at that point. But I am certain that if we are not careful, that that conservative majority in the Senate will not grow this November if we antagonize the left unduly over this issue or we let them get away with making it the primary issue of the fall campaign. And we'll be back in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. Um, so when it comes to social issues, you know what? I'm, I'm like uh, Charlie Cook, who's been a guest on the show a couple of times. I'm a conservatarian, which means that... I'm a live and let live kind of person when it comes to social issues. You know, I have friends um, 
with widely different political opinions and widely different lifestyles. Um, And, you know, I love them all equally. What can I say? But I am really worried. And and so I've spent this much time um, on the issue of Roe v. Wade. And again, the phone number is 888-367-5329. But I've spent this much time because I am so concerned about the political heat, the yelling and screaming at the expense of a real discussion of the issues that are foremost, should be foremost, like debt and taxes and Social Security and national defense, et cetera, as we argue out who should represent us, that it shouldn't be over these um, tangential issues um, that only uh, motivate the farthest on the right and the left. The Democrats absolutely do not want to waste one iota of opportunity from this Supreme Court pick. And, and making it an issue in November, the, the only issue in November. They aren't taking a chance that many of you will agree with me about Roe v. Wade um, not being in jeopardy, uh, that, you won't, that you won't buy the Kool-Aid anymore. And so they've immediately gone to another reason why, you know, we cannot allow Trump to appoint another person to the Supreme Court. I mean, these are otherwise reasonable people saying these things. So they're saying that the next justice on the Supreme Court would be a shill for Donald Trump in the event that Robert Mueller seeks a grand jury subpoena for the president's testimony or indicts him or someone in his cabinet. Now, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Or close to. I've heard some pretty absurd things. The list of 25 or the list of five that will be the final interviewees. Each of them is a jurist, a lawyer, a a, a, uh, judicial institutionalist, a judge with a track record of opinions that can be examined and have been examined because they're all uh, serving on appeals or circuit courts uh, by members of the Senate in the confirmation process. And you know what? Uh, Neil Gorsuch made it very plain that he was not... um, he was offended by some of the things that Trump had said about the court and about jurists in his confirmation process. I don't think the other 25 feel significantly different. Um, you don't get to the U.S. Court of Appeals without a certain amount of deference and, um, and, and uh, fidelity to the law both the written law and the English common law uh, uh, premise of precedence. Um, Unless you, you know, you don't get there without that kind of fidelity. And once appointed to the Supreme Court, it's an appointment for life. That judge is accountable first to the United States Constitution and the people that it protects, and then they're accountable to history a co-equal branch of government, they can't be fired by the president. They are short of high crimes and misdemeanors beyond the reach of congressional censure. And I will tell you, having watched the C-SPAN hearings this week, uh, on C-SPAN, the hearings this week, I'll say that both 
Attorney General, Deputy Attorney General Rob Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher Wray will envy these new Trump appointees. Um, both of both of them have had a really hard week. Um, they're widely respected lawyers and longtime public servants, and um, you know they've basically they basically dared Jim Jordan and the Freedom Caucus to hold. You know, either of them in contempt of Congress. That's kind of a battle I'd like to see. But back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is not subject to that kind of congressional um, uh, breathing down your neck, overbearing whatever. So what? when otherwise respectable members of the print and uh, TV uh, journalistic est- um, estate People who have an average of 2 million viewers a day, I'm talking to both MSNBC and Fox, when those commentators take such fanciful, farcical positions, pro or anti-Trump, I think they should have to report their multi-million dollar salaries and their advertising revenue to the Federal Election Commission as in-kind contributions, because this is basically political advertising and it's outside the facts. No justice appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States from that list of 25 that the Federalist Society developed, not a one of them would ever find that the president of the United States, as Donald Trump or whomever else, Hillary Clinton, um, whomever else, none of them would ever find that the president of the United States is above the law. And I believe it is irresponsible of both print and television newscasters, and I put that in quotes. I, none of them are going to find any president of the United States above the law because their fidelity, their first Their first loyalty, these judges, is to the law and to the institution of the Supreme Court. And I think as people, we can have great confidence in that. And that's, to me, that's quite comforting. And so, like I said, nobody's called 888-367-5329, which means either um, your heads have exploded or you agree with me. So while we're talking about people being irresponsible in our last minute here, let's take two more numbers. Zero. Zero. The number of bills that were passed to begin um, a reform of our immigration policy and practices. To begin to legislate instead of letting the unelected anonymous bureaucracy regulate. Zero bills have been passed. A couple have come to the floor. Nothing has passed. Can't find a consensus on immigration. And you cannot fix this problem without a consensus. Okay. And on the other hand, there were four hearings on the Department of Justice's Inspector General's report, and they were not aimed at finding the facts about Hillary Clinton's emails. They were, in fact... And it's unforgivable 
They were, in fact, an effort at undermining the traditional rule of law and national security in this country. When they start asking for the FBI to unmask all of their confidential informants, you think that's not going to leak? You think that should be restricted to a skiff? There are lives at stake here. And lives are more important, and national security, your life and my life, to, to live it in freedom and freedom from fear is more important than politics. And we'll be back in just a moment. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back, and Vince has a question. Okay. Um, well, hopefully this will make your head explode. Well, first of all, I want to say I totally agree with you on Roe versus Wade. But um, back to uh, the mass shootings and um, this Capital Gazette shooting, I think this is another case of another breakdown of law enforcement and security on behalf of local law enforcement and um, whoever's in in charge of the security apparatus for the Capital Gazette. And unfortunately, a lot of companies, even big corporations like Google, Google here locally, the Googleplex is very porous and and very easy to get access to. And it wouldn't be hard for uh, a rogue person to, to, to blend in and get into the courtyard at the Googleplex at lunchtime and have access to like 300 people in the courtyard and we just saw the youtube shooting a couple months back where there was a a shooter who actually had a grievance had a motive had had already threatened and harassed the youtube same thing with this the shooter with the gazette the guy the guy's twitter feed was psychotic he he already had um grievance with them well documented he should have been profiled he should have uh alerted red flags for sure it's, it's a total breakdown. There has to be more sort of active law enforcement, staying sort of staying proactive, anticipating things. And unfortunately, it's all reactive. And then it gets politicized and broken down when it was really a security breakdown. They, they, they were a soft target. Well, yes, they were a soft target. Uh, they were a community newspaper, um, you know. In so one one should be able to just walk into the you know if you want to uh, buy an ad or you have a, a story that you're interested in or your your daughter just got married and you want to bring the pictures and the story for the wedding announcement whatever I mean that's the kind of community newspaper this is it is owned by the Baltimore Sun and and you know because I want to be honest with everybody yes I used to date the son of the Baltimore Sun's editor you know editor um <clears throat> but that was years wait you ago. did you did I did I did I did many years ago date uh, the son of the of the Baltimore Sun's editor some page six uh stuff going on here yeah yeah way back when we won't talk about when but you know when I was young and foolish um no actually he was a really nice person um but your point goes right back to this whole discussion of the Supreme Court and whether it's institutional or originalist whether you know, the founding fathers would expect us to stay within the institutional limits, but be relevant to the things that they knew. And, uh, you know, at, as society has changed, because the place where it broke down was in 2013, when the police interviewed the guy and deemed him not to be 
a threat, that there was no way for them to put a mark in his record anywhere so that if he went to buy a gun, it would create a red flag. And so when he bought the shotgun a year ago, nobody was alerted. And you're absolutely right. That's the moment at which this could have been prevented. But how do we create a background check system in which someone who's adjudicated not to be dangerous, but perhaps could become, is flagged for not to say he couldn't buy a weapon, but that there would be additional scrutiny, okay? That goes to allowing um, allowing a much more nuanced way of looking at background checks. And yes, if then a year ago, there'd been a flag that said further, further analysis required, they would have looked at his Facebook rantings, and I don't know under Maryland law, but I would suspect that at that point, it wouldn't have been, or under federal law, um, it might have been more difficult for him to buy a gun. But you know, that that would violate his First Amendment rights. So Vince, your your question is incredibly salient to the moment, but we can't have um, an originalist way of thinking about the First and Second Amendment and solve that problem. And just a couple of closing thoughts. Every now and then, the California legislature does something to redeem itself, and this time it did, and we'll talk about it next week. We've passed privacy protection for all consumers on the Internet, and we should applaud the governor for signing that quickly. Again, we'll talk about that next week. And in the meantime, if you want more information, go to reimagineamerica.org and have a wonderful, safe, healthy 4th of July. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>